A vague disclaimer is no one's friend. This podcast will look at episodes in relation to Buffy and Angel as a whole, and therefore contains spoilers for the entirety of both series. If you haven't seen all of Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Angel the series, go and watch them before you listen to this. Remember, you've been warned. The hardest thing in this world is to live in it. That's why there's us, champions. We live as though the world were as it should be, to show it what it can be. The Earth is definitely doomed. It's Tuesday, so it must be time to return to the Hellmouth. We're going through the Buffyverse episode by episode and a look back at Joss Whedon's iconic shows. I'm MC and I'm here with... It's Andy. This is David. This is Jan. And I'm Logan. This week we are talking about The Wish, which is episode nine of season three. It was written by Marty Noxon and directed by David Greenwalt and originally aired December 8th, 1998. The Wish. Like, seriously, like, what can you say about The Wish? A lot it's of one of my the, favorite oh, episodes. So great. <laughs> it's The Wish. I know. It's like that one that you're like, yeah. Like, this is a never skip episode ever. Yeah. This is one of those, if I want to get somebody into Buffy, or at least explain to them why I like Buffy, I will sit, even if they don't know what's going on contextually, I will sit them down and watch this because, you know, it's like this Star Trek Mirror Universe episodes. It's just one of those things that's fun to watch them play with the tropes. Two of the biggest alternate universe tropes. It's, it's A Wonderful Life and the mirror universe that's Mm -hmm. kind of Mm -hmm. those mixed together and i love it but we open the episode with buffy slaying a demon and it's daytime slaying you know yeah and you don't see it for very long but i kind of like that i mean it's obviously a mask and not a prosthetic but i kind of like that slimy looking demon it's cool for just the second we see it yeah it's nice design. I have to say, he, he goes down real fast once she just gets a knife. It's like, there's no fighting. It's like fighting, fighting. Oh, just give me a knife. Stab. Dead. <laughs> I do get the impression, though, that this fight's been going on for a while. Like, But it, it's, it's cool that they actually went through the effort of making up a demon to put in this opening like they could have easily made this a vampire yeah i I wonder if like they just decided you know let's do something since we're doing the alternate universe thing anyway let's do something different than our normal trope and and do a daylight demon thing so it's kind of like it's almost like a clue to an early clue to the the new direction that we're gonna do something a little different the um bodysuit looks familiar is that um it looks like they ultimately reuse it it reminds me of the demon that the three use in season six at the bank when buffy's trying to get a loan Oh, well, he's it, it, it may not be the same exact thing, but it reminds me of the of what he's wearing underneath the clothes. Possibly. I mean, they yeah. do that a lot. Like they well, reuse the to... gnarl at one point. Any show that uses this kind of mm-hmm. stuff is going to reuse stuff all the you time. You gotta. You gotta. I actually think it's really fun when you get shows that reuse stuff from other shows. Like I know on Firefly, the troop guys wear outfits from starship troopers they do they do and famously uh the star trek the original star trek production people would raid the trash bins of mission impossible across the lot (laughs) for just like bits and pieces that's great i love it thinking about the daytime slaying i'm just thinking it's like since this episode is so dark like once we get into the alternate version of sunnydale everything is dark so it's almost like it's very light here i think it's definitely was a conscious decision on 
on their part to make it different than our normal slaying patterns. Since you're bringing it up, when we get to the end, you'll have, like, the tonal shift is really drastic. And it's, so it's sort of bookended by these light, bright, kind of comic bits. The transition is kind of drastic. Not not as much at the beginning, but the end, it'll be like, like oh my god, that, like, this is, there's no gradation here. It just goes right from dark to... Well, we know they have an excellent cinematographer, right? That we praised for his direction. So I think that that's definitely... Yeah, the very brightness of it, the colors, all that stuff. I do like that there is a weaving in of the where's faith, even if it's only just one or two lines. I love Buffy in this episode because of that, because she's like, hey, I'm trying to include faith. Hey, I'm trying to stay neutral. Hey, I'm trying to mend fences with Cordy. I'm trying to include these people what we see of our universe of Buffy well again we'll talk about which universe last week it was kind of bothered me that there was no mention of faith whatsoever so I like the fact that this week they mm-hmm. remembered that there was faith even if it, again as we were saying last week that sometimes just one line will fix it all and they did and leave it up to, to Marty to to include that personally I love Marty so. and yeah I was actually thinking after last week overall I think Buffy's a much better friend to everyone than ever anyone is to her yeah Oh, yeah. yeah. Overall, yeah, yeah. I mean, like, Buffy really tries to be supportive and, like, everyone around her. Not that they're not ever supportive, but they lean towards being a lot more self-absorbed. There are lots of betrayals on all sides, but a lot mm-hmm. of times they involve betraying Buffy. My most quoted line that I use from Buffy, I know what you're going to say. Your logic does not resemble our Earth logic. I, I think yes. that is probably the line <laughs> that I use most mm-hmm. often from Buffy. The only line I use more than that is I took a tiny step in their conclusions for. That's yes. a good one. It's the only one I use more. And actually, both of they kind of both go together like very well. I, I've decided that Xander and everyone in his line of sight needs one of our Shut Up Xander t-shirts. <laughs> <laughs> because just stop talking, please. And, and Willow. I want to shut Willow up oh. so bad so many times in this episode. I didn't get to that point until later, but yes. I do have Shut Up Xander and Willow written there because they are are both trying to justify what they are doing yep. so much and yeah. try to shift the blame and yeah. shut up. At some point, I was just like, just stop talking. I, I can empathize with Willow in a, in a I don't want to say a negative way, but just her, like, the guilt thing and the, I, I've done something badly and somebody's mad at me and I need to make it all better and I'm going to, like, harass them instead of letting it go and that's kind of like, I, I can appreciate that. It's not a good tra- trait, but it's something that I know I'm guilty of, so I was just like, Willow, stop. This is not going to work. I can tell you from (laughs) personal experience. We'll get more into that once we get to her and Oz together. Ugh, but Cordelia sitting there alone. Oh, Cordelia. And having to listen to all those messages over and over and over. It's Mm. stalkerish behavior. She said, leave me alone. I don't want to see you anymore. She made it very clear, and she was very direct, and she's not picking up the call once. Maybe, but mm-hmm. calling over it. Oh, it's gross. In real life, somebody would turn the phone off at that point and not let the messages keep going on and on. Sometimes you just want to clear those damn messages as fast as you can. It is not acceptable behavior to do that. It's absolutely yeah. creepy and it's disgusting. What? Xander? Creepy and disgusting? No, but say think, it isn't I think, so. I think this is the most creepy and disgusting he's being. And he's like, ha, ah, call mm. her. Like, yeah, God, I hate you. Cordelia listening to the messages, it's in that moment, she's very much wallowing in the fact that her relationship has ended. And I have to admit, the first time I saw this episode, I thought Cordelia was working some sort of spell. I I was just about to bring that up. Yeah, I did too. Well, yeah, absolutely. And I still, 
honestly, part of me is just like, I'm glad they didn't go that way. But oh yeah, like I wish they did. But I do. We we talked about this. Don't last wish week for we, things. <laughs> right when we talked about um, photos in the locker, mm-hmm. you don't get this kind of catharsis anymore without printed photos. She gets to cut them up and set them on fire, and we don't get to do that anymore. What are you gonna do? Throw delete, your phone in a lake? Delete, delete, yeah. delete, delete. It's, it's not, not as satisfying. Same. It's just like no, hanging up a phone. It's not it's, as satisfying. It's not as satisfying. I have I have done the burning of photos. I have done the throwing uh, jewelry that my ex got me down the sewer grate. Was it a cheap pewter heart? <laughs> yes, it was actually. <laughs> and also, there, I mean, to me, like you know, speaking of spells, I mean, it's not a conscious thing, but there's actual. It's almost a ritual to be able to like tear those photos or to cut oh, those yeah, photos, sure. to set them yeah. on fire, and that is actually part of like unbinding or you know, like removing people from your life spells because it's a physical uh, act. So and you can't do that with a digital photo. It's just not yeah, the same. These even kids you, today don't know what they're missing. Even if you print them out and then do it, it's still it's not the same thing. The opening credits and then. We go right to Willow and Buffy in the hallway. And hey, mention of Amy. Yeah. yeah. We heard from Amy in a while. And I think they're like kind of setting it up because she'll be appearing in a couple of episodes from now. So, yeah. Amy apparently said that Cordelia was looking pretty scary, but hot damn, oh, Cordelia. Oh, man. Jeez yes. Louise. I have a question. This is like probably me just being not a fashion person but i like i saw cordy in that outfit and like when you see her sort of isolated it's like oh wow look at that outfit then she goes to school nobody is wearing anything even remotely like that and like she looks so out of place i think that's cordy's point it's armor and i think the way they did it in the in the backdrop of of because we have that cordy standing out in both universes i think the point of that was to isolate her that's a really good turn of phrase um just because you can hear everybody whispering about her so she the character's motivation was to be like look at me i'm myself but better but in reality it's more like look at me i'm so different from all of y'all now because i have no one when we see her in this first scene and then when we see her later at the bronze she's in these red tones she's very aggressive and the fact that it's leather is also as you said that's very armory because it's a protective thing she looks a little bit like a dominatrix but honestly i think they play off of each other because both of these are powerful roles for women but yeah man she gets out of that car and i'm like you are the queen we have the first appearance of anya yes someone who will be around until up till chosen this emma caulfield's first appearance Mm -hmm. funny note apparently she was not the first actress cast in this role interesting there was somebody else who i don't know who somebody else was cast in the role but dropped out when she found out it was only going to be two episodes (laughs) as bobby singer from supernatural would say (laughs) idiots a funny one to bring up since he was only supposed to be one episode but yes first appearance by her and she's i mean there is it's called early installment weirdness on tv tropes where somebody's not quite what we'll see later on but Anya's not Anya yet but I've seen theories where it's like Anya or Anyanka at this point has formed herself to be exactly what Cordelia needs and then later on when she is a normal human she flounders with not being able to like fit in that works really well her salespersonship in this episode is actually really good in the way she... And she winds up somehow upselling Cordy. It's... 
you see that with Halfric as well. The way she behaves with Anya and other vengeance demons is not the way she behaves when she's acting as a counselor for Dawn mm-hmm. later on. She knows that right now this girl needs someone who's pretty dismissive of the people who are giving Cordelia shit. She's clearly worldly in a way that Cordelia is compared to, you know, some of her classmates and, and the like. So when she's on Yonka, when she's full veiny face demon, she's fucking scary. So I would like to shout out Mercedes McNabb in this episode. Mm. Yeah. She does a really good job in this episode because we haven't really seen a lot from her outside mm. of just being, you know, the the sheep. And she gets a lot more range in this episode. I mean, it's she's still Harmony, but she's different shades of Harmony, and I think she does a really good job doing it. And yeah, it's very much Harmony wanting to be Queen B as compared to being one of the Cordettes. So she's, well, yeah. even if she gets well, to she play gets a range, because she also gets in the Wish first, she gets to play a different version of Harmony there, too. The producing staff, Joss Whedon, will recognize that kind of range. I mean, it's a smaller and a range and work with that person and work, want to bring them back into the world. And so that's obviously what mm-hmm. he's going to do with bringing Harmony back later on. And poor Jonathan. I feel so, and he's just sitting there like, oh crap, what's about to happen? And then I think that moment you get where he's got his drink and they just, the, he, the camera solely on him, he's, he's center focused. You see that he's giving Cordy this, I know what you're feeling look. Uh, maybe I'm, I'm reading too much into it. Wait, that's what we do. Never mind. Um, <laughs> what we're going to see is as they're weaving Jonathan into the season, this kind of behavior mm. and these kind of actions from people just like using him as a punchline and things like that are going to cause what happens in Earshot. It also explains him in Superstar and even then going into season six when we get the trio. I've always felt that Jonathan was the Scooby member that never was. Me they too. really should have brought him yeah. into things. Yeah. yeah. I just wanted to hug him there because it's not his fault and poor Cordy and he knows what Cordy is going through and he can't even be like sympathetic or be her friend because she's never going to hang out with Jonathan. She should. (laughs) She should. Can we? um... We move on to the next scene and uh, it's Willow and Oz and Willow Uh, is being all stalkery and don't like her in this scene but Oz is such a grown up Oz is amazing Mm -hmm. what he says is really um, I think it's really indicative of his ability to self-realize how like mature he is in a way that pretty much nobody else on the show is but at the same time Willow's behavior is not unexpected for a teenager who fucked up and is like all sad and like please take Mm -hmm. me back I will do anything to first of all get you back and anything to stop feeling like this because I feel like trash of course they're all id and hormones Oz is incredible and it's actually a great lesson to watch just generally in life to how to set Mm -hmm. boundaries and set them firmly without Mm -hmm. arguing back i love his line you want to talk to make yourself feel better that's not my problem great Mm -hmm. example if i wanted to point to an example for someone watch the scene this is how you set a boundary and this is how you stay true to yourself without being unkind genius for a show that breaks people's boundaries all the time it's a genius way Mm. of just saying who the character is. Yeah, I think it's also a very good juxtaposition between how Oz is dealing with Willow and how Cordy is dealing or not dealing with Xander. Maybe, to be fair to Willow, which we'll find out in a minutes, it seems like she listens to him. Oz comes to her to talk to her because he's ready. It seems like she leaves him alone and doesn't call him 60 times like somebody else in the episode. That's my thing. Like, Willow's whole, you know, I'll do anything to make this right. 
Oz tells her exactly how she can make it right by letting him process things. Mm-hmm. So, right. mm-hmm. and she does. I mean, yeah. I mean, I guess she does. I mean, we don't really know what happens in the interim between this and amends because kind of the first thing that happens in the amends is they get back together. Not that I have mm. a problem with that. I think one of the greatest lessons I've ever learned in my life, and it took me a long time to learn it, is you can't argue someone out of feelings. Willow's still in the place, and a lot of people are still in this place. That if I say the exact right thing, this person is going to love me again. This person is going to change your mind. The person is going to forgive you. Mm-hmm. And that's not, like, as Oz says, it's not his problem. What Oz is effectively saying, as well as all that, is you're trying to do something. There is nothing you can do. As we've said, it's like, great thing is that he manages to say that clearly and mm-hmm. succinctly without being hostile about it and cordelia is just having a really rough time because she sees xander so she tries to bring in uh this john lee guy to try to make it look like they're kissing i think Mm. yeah and oh my god my note here is oh cordy it's okay your family is coming soon i've had this conversation with a guy once i mean obviously it wasn't like you just got dumped by the school loser but i have had a guy say to me i'd hook up with you if no one yep. knew about it me too oh yeah me three yeah. <laughs> david's just like on behalf i'm sorry <laughs> yes it's it's a really common thing to have happen it's disgusting men fucking suck and her tiny what she's just oh so, so hurt oh charisma mm so good they do such a good job of tearing cordelia down for more than just xander dumping her there's Mm -hmm. just kind of her entire world is falling apart in this and even though she doesn't consciously make the wish you can kind of understand how all of this ends up happening even the people she thought were her friends you know her her little mean girl group in in a way she learns a lesson that they never were her friends and they never counted either so she's very isolated and she's found out she's not who they thought she was or who even who they, she thought she was after this because she loses them too which is a good thing in a way what are we 14 episodes away 14 yeah. episodes yeah. away from cordelia yeah. getting to where she needs to be yeah for sure i i love when anya comes up like we said before anya's really good at her job again she is being exactly what cordy needs in that moment she's like oh harmony she follows me around which of course is going to connect with Cordy, because Harmony used to follow her around, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and the way it comes off is not, like, shady. You honestly don't know that, oh, oh, this girl is up to something. Because she seems so genuine and, and caring and concerned mm-hmm. at that moment about Cordy, which is what Cordy needs, without being, you know, without the mean girl veneer. She throws in just yeah. enough mean girl by shading Harmony. But, I, yeah, <laughs> I mean, she brings up fashion and reading W. Like, she's, she's forming this instant bond, and Cordelia needs anyone mm-hmm in her corner right now. So of course she's going to gravitate to this person. That's like, Oh, don't worry about those idiots. Mm -hmm. She's being Cordy's life raft here. Basically. Um, I do like Anya saying that it was a gift from her father, the necklace, because if you think about the relationship between Anyanka and Dahofren, Dahofren Mm -hmm. really is her father. I like the, it's an actual old thing. <laughs> Which is a great line, man. Very much like her. I, I'd be a while before we can talk about this, but when you look at Cordy's relationship with Xander and then Anya's relationship with him and his, its eventual demise, it's a very strong parallel. Anya makes her place with the Scoobies and then she loses everything when he leaves her at the altar. God, man, Xander's a fucking plague. Okay, you know what? Let's move on. I, I, unfortunately, we can't move that far away from Xander because we move on to the bronze and Xander right. being pretty much a yep. jerk trying to overcompensate and i love that buffy mm-hmm. 
Again, here's another one I use a lot. Supporto gal. Like when I'm like, I think I've said that to <laughs> yeah. MC when we've been chatting. I'm like, oh, I'm totally supporto gal. Mm. Of course I would say that to you because mm. yeah. one, I love you and I'm supportive. And two, it's a Buffy reference. But yeah, Buffy's, she's 100% right. Mm. She says Cordelia's in the wrong, you know, Cordelia's the wrong party here. So we're not going to play I Hate Cordelia Club. And if I was Willow, I'd be staying so far away from Xander at this point. I would just be like, we got to take a break from being friends. I mean, unless it has to do, unless it has to do with slaying specifically, go away. I really love this episode as far as Buffy is concerned, because I think it's indicative of what she experienced when she left and her life as Anne and how that affected her long term. You see a very marked difference of her as a person in season three as compared to the previous seasons, especially, and it's really obvious in this situation with Cordelia and with Faith, which is why I really love both versions of Buffy in this episode, but... 100%. 100% believe that between last episode and this episode, there was an unseen scene of Willow officially jumping Xander. Because you cannot tell me that after everything that went down, Xander didn't try to see if he could hook up with Willow officially. I honestly think she sort of came to the realization once like they walked in, she realized she really loves Oz. Well, why wouldn't you? Xander doesn't just get to make it all go away and have his friends bolster him up for his shitty decisions. Mm. So good for Buffy. And in a perfect world, Willow would not have been there. But, you know, Allie's in the credits and they needed her on camera and everything else. So they couldn't. And this I, I can sort of understand why she's there despite it all. But I like the fact that Buffy was smack dab in the middle of them. So and flanked by either one of them. So they weren't sitting next to each other. So at least there mm-hmm. was some as much mm-hmm. visual distances we could give them given that it's a tv show in regards to, to andy's well why wouldn't you uh, what's that line from um parks and recreation that tatiana Maslany says you're small enough i can throw you around <laughs> <laughs> I, love me, I love me some tiny set green put him in my pocket <laughs> take him out kiss his face <laughs> yeah i think that part of the thing with willow is it's not just that she's realized that oz is who she really wants to be with what came across for me very heavily here is willow's jewish guilt is just so strong with this one. It is. (laughs) I have a question. So I was raised Episcopalian, which is like Catholic light. Is it like Catholic guilt? Catholic Um, guilt Yes, but worse. It it involves more Yiddish, but... (laughs) Probably. I mean, honestly, I say it's Jewish guilt, but I've come to the conclusion over the years that, no, everyone has guilt. God, if you have a mother, you have guilt. Yeah. It's like, it doesn't matter if you're Jewish or Catholic or an atheist. It's like, if you have a mother. Hey, mom, I'm really glad you never guilted me for anything. Shout out to my mother. Oh, it's not, it's not just your mother guilting you. It's like, you just get guilt. It, it comes free with the package. <laughs> but the Jewish guilt thing is, it's it's a trope, it's a cliche. and But it's and, real. <laughs> and it is real. It is real. Everybody has guilt unless you're Xander. Because this is the reason, oh, yes. this is the reason why I think uh. Xander probably tried to pursue Willow after he realized that he wasn't going to get back together with Cordy. Mm-hmm. Xander doesn't think they did anything wrong. He keeps on trying to justify everything that happened and basically make himself blameless. And I like a couple episodes from now when Buffy will call him out on like how Oz keeps on giving him looks and Buffy's like, you had illicit smoochies? Like you're going to have to put up with some looks. I do wonder, and I'm just playing devil's advocate here because y'all know, but I do wonder if, if Xander's behavior is not because very much like Willow's trying to talk to Oz and, and, and alleviate her own guilt through that way i wonder if his is not a lot of bravado in an effort to do the same 
Yeah. I would hope that would be it. Oh, well, I do think he is very much overcompensating. Yeah, I I think Willow, Jewish guilt jokes aside, I mean, I think she is. She realized that they did something wrong. And she is trying, in the worst way possible, to try to make it all better because it hurts her. I think Oz nose in the back of his head but he if he could get back together with Cordy tomorrow he'd be fine with it and everything would just go on as it is because that's what he wants and that's the way he deals with things and that is not I mean he has guilt but it's it's a totally different thing and I don't know whether it's because of gender roles or you know ethnic background or whatever but he's just not he's an asshole or Xanderness or Xanderness right yeah. yeah at least Willow is like saying I made a mistake I screwed up take me back and I'll do anything I can to fix it which is still bad but she's acknowledging that she made a mistake yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but let's talk about the true hero of this series and the scene and that's Buffy because Buffy yeah that is so fucking good like I'm thinking about like how in primeval how xander is the heart of the scoobies and i'm like bullshit buffy is the heart of the scoobies because she is Mm -hmm. the one who is reaching out to everybody and this scene with cordelia she's trying so so hard and i think if that vampire hadn't attacked everything would have been very different charisma has just Mm -hmm. a really great little piece of acting here she looks like she's about to soften it's very subtle it's very cool Mm -hmm. i think cordy might have actually like you said mc talk to Buffy about it or at least be more open to that not as angry and then the vamp happens because of mm-hmm. course it's sunny vamps are gonna happen vamps are going to vamp yeah I mean actually this this I mean this could have could have turned into a much softer version of the spank your inner moppet yeah. speech yeah, yeah. But, well if, if you actually look at it I mean it's in the exact same place yep it is yeah. very much like a mirror of that scene except it's Buffy trying to talk to Cordelia and, mm-hmm. you know, everything goes really wrong. And I, I feel so bad for Cordelia because this is kind of the moment where she separates from the Scoobies officially. Like maybe if that vampire hadn't attacked and she'd been able to talk to Buffy, then she and Buffy would have been able to have like some sort of friendship and maybe Cordelia wouldn't have stayed in Sunnydale, but maybe there wouldn't have been that hard break that there is because the only time we like ever see her like calling anybody in Sunnydale as if something is going on. It's like there's a bad thing going on. So we're right. gonna have to like share information or why didn't you tell me Harmony was gay? Harmony is gay? Oh that that oh right, right, right. In the episode where she thinks Harmony is all hot for her, but really she's a bit gotcha. Yeah. I remember now. Yeah, I mean yeah. <laughs> Sorry, obscure references. What Cordy is doing is it's very classic transference, right? All of a sudden, then everything is Buffy's fault when none of it is Buffy's fault. And we know that, but it's, it's right. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's the only way Cordy knows how to cope from losing someone. Yeah. And I think mm-hmm. she truly did love Xander, not in that all encompassing world breaking. We're going to get married someday way, but in that like solid high school way of like, this is, I mean, Xander mm-hmm. was really, she dated a lot, but I think Xander was her real first love experience of being in a longer term relationship so like her transferring it onto Buffy I think is her way of trying to distance the problem from Xander I also think it's a a way for her to distance the problem from herself Um, if she blames Buffy Mm -hmm. she doesn't have to include herself in what she sees as lowering her standards and her utmost embarrassment and things like that which is definitely a lot easier to 
deal with then i didn't it's, make bad choices i was led to make bad right. choices if Buffy hadn't been here to have me talk to xander i would still think he's the loser that he is and i would be in my queen bee position and nothing would have changed and the world would be yeah. right so yeah that damn buffy summers yeah it's exactly exactly it's, it, it's a testament again I, I will sing her praises forever to how well marty not only understands her characters but also teenagers in general yeah. and how people mm-hmm. function yeah, I, I do think it is an interesting question, though, when we're saying that Xander and Cordelia would have been a high school thing, but it's very possible that maybe it wouldn't have been if this had not happened, because, you know, had they stayed together, we don't know if Cordelia would have left Sunnydale. She might have ended up staying there. And, you know, with Xander getting the job in construction, growing up a lot, they could have very well have stayed together. You know, it's something that we'll never actually know. But I do think it's so funny when you have Anya trying to, you know, do her target marketing and yes. all of the insults that she's throwing at Xander. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. She should come on the podcast. <laughs> but then we get uh, Cordelia making her wish and all of a sudden it's a wonderful Buffy. <laughs> It is a wonderful Buffy. I do want to say right here, if we're going to talk about fashion, first of all, the dress. But this is peak Cordelia. Oh, God. Her hair so is yeah. incredible. Yeah. It's The great, wave, yeah. how luscious mm-hmm. it looks when she picks it up. Again, I, I, I warned everybody before we started recording, I'm going to be real queer in this podcast. That's <laughs> fine. I'm right there with you. Um, when, when she lifts it up to put the necklace on, oh, God, peak Cordy hair. It's incredible. Mm. And it's like a timeless hairstyle, too. Yeah. I'm very impressed with yeah. how it holds up. Uh, this... Uh, Cordelia and actually Anyanka as well are uh, figures that they made for the Buffy the Vampire Slayer line, and it was uh, Diamond Select Toys that did the the Cordelia figure. And I am so angry at the way they did it because they ended up changing the scale, so Cordelia looks fucking massive. But it's <laughs> such a beautiful look that you know it would have been really nice if they had done it in the same scale as all of the other figures. I give Cynthia Bergstrom so much credit in these episodes because she really deserves it because her costuming is like really great and setting up because Cordy is not this is not a quarter color we see on Cordy very often it's not a typical Cordy color and it really mirrors the easter egg colors that we've been seeing on Buffy and Willow this whole season in Cordelia when everybody else is going to go dark around her and it does it she stands out like a little light bulb but it's oh god she's so she's so beautiful charisma is so so beautiful her outfits this episode in general are amazing amazing the hot red thing from the bronze yeah. is is good yeah, yeah. i mean so, as, an, as in a hot red yeah hot no, red I color. Mean, not that she just looked hot well i mean like you, you talk about how you're gonna be real queer this episode like i i didn't write this down as a note because i was kind of ashamed i thought of it but when she was wearing that red number from the bronze i was like christmas boobs look amazing so <laughs> And they keep looking amazing. They still look amazing. I don't understand. So I'm going to be annoying and we're, we're, I'm going to walk into Dave's magic mechanics corner for a moment. <laughs> Why does Anya give her the amulet? Okay, there is a lot of stuff about the amulet that does not seem like this is something that I don't think that they keep consistent because I, 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 mean, I think they do change it when uh, when Anyanka becomes a demon, when Anya becomes a demon again. It seemed, and I think they did this also with Dawn when she deals with Halfrek, that originally mm-hmm. that to make a wish, they had to be wearing the necklace. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think Dawn actually, 
I'm pretty sure Dawn doesn't get anything from Halfrek, like a a she totem doesn't. like that. Doesn't she? I thought she, I thought she did. Yeah. No, I I I, I had to watch that episode because I. Oh well, yeah, that's the episode I was going to write about. So yeah. Oh. Yeah, I don't think that happens. Okay. So I was like watching this, and I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And of course, as things go on, there will technically be two, two. amulets yeah. lying around, right. and that gets weird. And so, like, like I say, this is the yeah they didn't think this through thing. Yeah. But and I will actually have it doesn't really fit anywhere specifically in the episode, so I may leave this for final thoughts. But I have some thoughts on the whole vengeance demon thing. It's a wonderful Buffy time, and I actually think it's funny that it's a wonderful Buffy time because this was the episode before the Christmas episode, and It's a Wonderful Life is of course a Christmas right. movie. <laughs> Uh, that has very little to actually do with Christmas. <laughs> yes. And I actually, I have I have all kinds of theories about It's a Wonderful Life. I think it's a much more depressing movie than most people do. It's so depressing. Are you kidding me? For sure. It, it is. is. Very depressing. I, I have a whole Frank Capra range of movies theory, but I won't bring it up here because <laughs> this is not this is not the Frank Capra podcast. Uh, we could do one of those together, actually, David. <laughs> okay. Um, I do love Scary Veiny Good Fairy. Yes. Right. Yes. <laughs> That's yeah. a good, it's a good line and a good delivery from charisma. Yeah. It's just Right. And and I love how despite all her experience with the Scoobies dealing with demons and stuff, she's like, "Oh, it's a good fairy." Like, <laughs> That's her headspace. This is actually point. the point in the episode where I get really annoyed with Cordy because she becomes self-involved to the point of stupidity. She turns around pretty quickly. Yeah. yeah. And I think she's also, she she would rather think she's making a deal with a good fairy than a demon, let's face it. I mm-hmm. think she needs to believe that something good is happening right now mm-hmm. because she has been so torn down mm-hmm. for all of this episode that she's like, oh, things are finally coming up, Cordy. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's coming up, Cordy. Uh, also, very weird thing. This is like, there's two episodes of Buffy and Angel that basically involved Cordelia makes a wish and then ends up in an alternate universe where everything is bad. <laughs> because birthday is almost the exact same thing, but they're both fantastic and they're both different uh, in their own way. But I love the filming of this is yeah. so good because you can mm. tell how different wish first is from the normal universe mm. because not only are there less people just suddenly in that scene and everything's dirtier and everything but they, they change, change the, the film color. Stock tones. Yeah. yeah like the yeah. lighting is different it's, everything is dark it's lovely yeah. oh the whole palette just changes yeah. Yeah. yeah and of course everybody's dressed in dark colors but also if you look at the girls everything mm-hmm. there there's one girl who has hair that's down but everybody's a lot more utilitarian a lot of buns mm-hmm. going on so vamps don't have stuff to grab onto again Cynthia Bergstrom in the costuming those I mean and those outfits are still really reflective of who those girls are because they're very high style status like that's like executive lady realness yes. right there right yeah. Harmony's dress I would wear tomorrow that is <laughs> mm-hmm. a chic classic it's a great dress but you know the contrast of that but still keeping within what those characters would wear because those are all the rich mean girls right yeah mm-hmm. um as opposed yeah it's it's i think it's i think it's genius yeah. mm-hmm. and the extras that they've gotten the like the teacher who's acting all panicky 
Uh, so like every there's a sense of urgency with everything, and just you mm-hmm. can feel like this terror that's going through. Yeah, it's really nicely done. Yeah, yeah. I do I, one thing about the costumes since we brought it up. Have we ever been told before that vampires are attracted to bright colors? I know they stick a line in about it, but I think it's bullshit. I was gonna yeah. bring that up later because that was when it was mentioned, but I wasn't sure. Well, the thing, the reason, well, just uh, Andy brought up harmonies. Outfit. Yeah. And my thing about that is, Harmony is showing 90% more neck than Cordy is. <laughs> that is I'm No, seriously, like like her entire neck and collarbone are, is expo- are exposed. Whereas Cordy is actually wearing like a sweater over her and her hair is down. So she's actually like almost totally covered in the biting area. Whereas Harmony is like, <laughs> just like, Harmony is just like, come bite me. Look here, here's some, here's my neck. And I find that just weird in, in, in in the world that we're given. Well, I I think it's a way, you know, it's the whole predator thing. If they can see you and you stand out, they can catch you better. So there's a logic to it that makes total sense, even if it's not something we've heard before. But I would think you would still also not want to expose your neck. Yeah, well, yeah, but they're not looking at your neck. If you think of predators and they're seeing you from afar. Oh, they're looking at your neck. Because they're everywhere. Yeah, but I think it's more don't stand out, sort of blend in with the crowd, be able to be in the darkness so they can't see you as well. That's all. Well, yeah. Yeah, that, but that's one aspect of it. There's also, if a vampire it happens to be near you, he's like, hey, nice neck. <laughs> I mean, it's like... I think vampires, it's like no matter what, it's going to be a hey, nice neck. But the way Harmony is dressed with her hair up and she's wearing... Mm-hmm tight clothes she's wearing she's can't grab her as easily there's not like right. oh, yeah. things trailing around so that if she is running away that they can't just like snatch onto her i i've mm-hmm. read uh the the zombie Great handbook point. several times yeah and it's mm-hmm. also just like hey I, look at me i'm standing out come bite me as compared to sort of like i said blending in and kind of being those are all but that's the thing those are all things that you would do another thing you would do is wear more modest clothing it's th- those don't obviate the need to not expose your neck to a vampire. <laughs> um, I don't think Harmony goes outside at night is ultimately I, I, I don't think Harmony is going to go outside when it's dark. OK, that's yeah. a good point. Yeah, there's a curfew. They're supposed to get home. She can maintain the, the, the standard like, hey, we're going to wear muted but- colors just in case. But also, I'm still going to rebel a little because it's who I am. Maybe. Or, yeah. I mean, this is, I mean, it's an obviously chic outfit and it shows status mm-hmm. also. And if she's not going to go right, I see both, I do see both yeah, points. Absolutely. And I think David makes an excellent point about the necking. <laughs> Maybe David's just really into necks. I don't know. Also, just thinking about it, I mean, you know how they always talk about mosquitoes, how like mosquitoes are attracted to people wearing certain colors? Maybe that's what they're trying to like suggest yeah. with the vampires. <clears throat> Oh. I, like I said, I think it's a predator thing. Like, if we think that the vampires have better eyesight, that they're they're going to be attracted, or at least their eyes are going to catch on brighter colors than darker colors. But you also, when you see the vampires later on at, at night at the bronze, most of them, I mean, we I, I do want to talk about that because there's just a plethora of decades represented. We will certainly get into that scene. But the majority yeah. of them are wearing muted colors as well, so maybe there is also a, if we do get caught after dark, maybe if we're lucky nobody will notice in us enough long enough for us to get inside somewhere maybe i would just wear oodles and oodles of leather because that's what the vampires wear i'd be <laughs> so like i'm gonna go wear this whole dark leather outfit all the time i'd look just hot, dressed in a cow first of all and say just dress like a cow. 
I mean, when it comes <laughs> down to it, the, I'm sure the real reason for all of this is we want Cordy to stand out and we want the color palette to be really muted. Oh, definitely. <laughs> I think yeah. my only problem with this plot point, well, not even mm-hmm. really a plot point, but this mm-hmm. factoid is that mm-hmm. it's never followed. It's it's never followed up <laughs> mm-hmm. like like people have debated it's like okay it's true in the wish first does that mean it's true in the real universe and i'm like of mm-hmm. course it's true in the real universe it's just they never bring it up maybe it's just the way people create mythology around things they're scared of that is That's also true, true. Um, and also in our prime universe is what i'm gonna call it too everybody not everybody but a lot of people are wearing bright colors right yeah so if 10 people are all wearing nice bright colors none not one of them one of them is gonna stand out specifically to a vampire mm. or just in general right because you've got a mix of colors in our prime universe in our real world right whereas mm. if you're living in a world desaturated and not trying to stand out well to take a watsonian uh, stance on things uh, if we take the vampires are attacked by bright colors thing is true in the real in our real universe perhaps that is why Buffy dresses this season as Andy says like an easter egg because Buffy mm. has always played with the idea of the predator prey where she mm. almost uses herself as bait sometimes and it's like oh no I'm actually the slayer and I'm gonna kill you <laughs> surprise um, yeah Ooh, mm. interesting point yep. I really like yeah, that so they they never that makes sense it, but it's in in my head that's that's kind of like what's going on here uh, I do mm. wonder why students aren't allowed to drive because I yeah, know they need to get didn't make Cord- a lot of sense I know they need to get Cordelia to walk home but it seems counterintuitive to getting people yeah. home on if they're True. in a bus and it's a, a state or a, a county or city coordinated thing, there's probably a checklist and they can assure and be certain that each child arrives home before curfew. Fair enough. Safe. In which case yeah. they do Excellent. a really shitty job because Cordy's all on her own. So <laughs> I do I do need to call out the writer and Cordy for her like super casual racism. Just for oh, a second. No. That's not how you talk. So that that. Uh, I won't say, I won't belabor the point, but I'm like, that is not good, bad, bad, Thank you. Mm-hmm. I cringed so hard. Yeah. yeah. I do too. I cringed when it happened the first time. I knew it was problematic back then. But, and, you know, on Mexican. Yeah. No, it, that, was, that was real bad. Uh, I also thought, I mean, this is besides the point, but he was a not great actor. <laughs> no. His line delivery was not great. Yeah. I actually was wondering if they had had to loop it. Or got, gotten somebody else to do it because it didn't sound quite right. And I mean, it's filmed outside, so it's possible that uh, the just the audio was bad. The audio was bad, the audio so they had bad. to redo it. Mm. But it did. It just sounded unnatural. So there mm. was just something. It yeah. probably was. Sometimes when things sound unnatural, it's a loop line. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we get uh, Cordelia walking the streets, and they seriously. I'm gonna harp on about the production, but they really did a great job of making Sunnydale mm-hmm. look disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, it's so great. Yes, and uh, uh, we get our first appearance from Vampire Xander. Okay, yeah. when y'all originally saw this episode, did you just, like, sit there with your mouth fucking agape? Because I know I did. I remember just, like, huh. I think they teased it, you know, in the previews. But again, keep in mind, I've told the story before. I was still watching these in a collection of six episodes at a time that my friend was taping off of cable for me. So I mm. didn't have access to previews of next time on Buffy. So I was just like, 
Oh, okay. I was I was a great surprise for me. I just took myself back twenty one years. <laughs> I probably I probably didn't notice that as much because I was probably distracted. Yeah, I I know that by the time I saw it, I had actually heard about these episodes, so I think I wasn't as surprised as I would have liked to have been because it was like, oh yeah, this is the episode where there are vampires or something, and he's Xander, but he looks fucking good. I was just gonna say, I Maybe have a note of, am I attracted to vampires, Xander? I, I can't. <laughs> I'm attracted decide. to vampires, Xander. Yeah, he, at least he has an excuse to be a dick. Well, that yeah. is true. Well, were you attracted to swim team, Xander? No. Oh. No, but he looked well, that, that much. That <laughs> much. <laughs> I'll admit he looked really good in the Speedo, but not... That's it? Like, hubba uh, hubba. I'm not a Speedo <laughs> person. Uh, I am a leather person, though. Uh, <laughs> okay. So you I just don't like the cut of his jacket. Uh, so, you know... He, I don't like long line leather jackets like that, so I've always been just sort of like a... There, I wish it were a shorter moto jacket, but here we are. There is that, and I also... I like me a pale guy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> he of looks course, really you know, good. So I mean, you, he's not you, bad. I you mean, guys I are d- burying the lead here. I, I it was a question. It's like, am I attracted to vampires, Anders? <laughs> Maybe, but then hell yes, vampire Willow. Yes, yes. please. <laughs> Thank you. Second helpings, if you don't mind. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> okay. Hello, <Yeah>. nurse. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'm the odd person out. I mean, I think she looks really sexy and really cool. And I, I remember being a pretty much like, oh, Willow back in the day. But now I'm like, oh, God, Allie, you're like 23 or 24. I'm just not feeling it. Whereas with Charisma, I know she's like 30. So I'm like, oh, Charisma. So that maybe it's just a growing up thing for me where I'm not as attracted to Vampire Willow as okay. I used to be. Well. I have. So, like she, she's twenty three or twenty four, so I've got no problem with thinking. Right, I got no, no, I've got no, I don't feel skeevy. I just my tastes run a little bit older now. I guess. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, right. It's just a taste thing. But she does. She looks absolutely fantastic. She looks great, and she that does. is an incredible oh, costume. costume. Yeah. So great. Holly just looks good in dark colors, and they rarely put her in dark colors yeah, in the yeah. show because it's not with yes. the character. We're so used to seeing her in sort of like baggy, not quite shapeless. I mean, granted, mm. as time has gone on in the show, her stuff has become a little bit more streamlined, but we've never seen her wearing something that form-fitting really before. I mean, you know, they've usually been hiding her, her figure under like the, the, the bulky sweaters and the cutesy overalls and that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. she looks fucking and, As she'll say in Doppelgangland, oh, wow, look at those. <laughs> Yeah, like I said, at this point in my life, I'm not as attracted, but I objectively, like, not objectifyingly, but like, just objectively, she looks hot. Like that is, oh, I love that outfit, and I just really, I love that that bustier is just so interestingly constructed. Yeah. yeah, with the chiffon stuff over the cups, it just yeah, oh, sure, it's, great. Oh, it's a great costume. Since I already mentioned toys, I'm gonna have to do this again. Hot Topic made a vampire willow toy. Funko made a vampire willow toy mm-hmm. that was an exclusive for Hot Topic. I don't think I ever saw that. I, it came out. Uh, it was very early in the Funko line, so it might have been before they were widely available. But it is also like the biggest piece of bullshit because she's wearing a mini skirt. What? Oh, fuck that no. shit. Yeah. She's wearing utilitarian leather pants. Yes. She looks great in those damn pants. Yes. And, mm-hmm. and of course, oh, and of course, also Diamond Select Toys did do uh, Vampire, Xander, and Willow. And the Willow figures look fantastic. The Xander figures are okay. 
Yeah. As we feel that. about the, the actual vampire Sander and vampire. Yeah, I remember world. the Diamond Select action figures, but I never bought them. But I, I do remember seeing those. So. I have a ton of them. Yeah. They are right behind me right now, actually. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I mean, like, since we are now to Vampire Xander and Vampire Willow, I'm going to say something very controversial, but possibly brave. Yeah. Uh, I I don't think Vampire Willow is that great in this episode. No, I was going to say I, her acting is sort of. I think. Well, and obviously I, we, we yeah. will get to talk to it, we'll talk yeah. about it pretty soon now. But especially compared with how Allie acts as Willow, I think it really, it works really well in Doppelgangland. Yes. But in this, it's such a departure that you're like, what the fuck? Yeah, in this one, (laughs) she's just, it's kind of a flat performance. I mean, she looks great, but she, I don't get that she's feeling the, the really, truly bad girl. She's saying the line's okay, but I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. A few times, I get it a lot, especially when, when they're, they're fighting in the warehouse, where she goes, "Uh uh-oh, puppy got out. She did that really yeah. well. Opinion, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. There, there are moments mm-hmm. that are really good. But I, I mean, I have an admission to make. Mm-hmm. Since we've been watching this stuff in such detail, my Willow crush is not as strong as it has to be. <laughs> because Aww. she's getting on, especially right now, because she's getting on my fucking nerves. <laughs> she is. Because, like, the, the whole storyline that will not die, I'm just like, I just want to strangle her. Oh, my God. And, and it's like. But I mean, but and yeah, I so I'm a little more objective than I probably used to be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, the perform the the whole Dark Willow isn't overall fantastic yet. It'll be much better in Doppelgangland. But there are just moments that yeah. are iconic, like bored now is which I yeah, say that, all the time. Which of course I she says as she's coming out of the shadows. So it's not as much of a physical performance, but the line reading is perfect. Mm-hmm. And like, so there are moments like that and Puppy got out and, you know, just like bits here and there that mm-hmm. are fantastic. But in comparison, the performance as a whole is fine. I'm going to say not spectacular. probably something mildly controversial, but not that controversial. I think Allie is not an actress that, that, and it's not a fault. There are some actors that are really great about getting into a new character and playing something different, you know, that are chameleons, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't think, I think Allie is more of a very solid, very emotionally driven actor, you know, works mm-hmm. off of emotions well, is mm-hmm. really great comic timing, great line reads, but I don't think she's, I don't think she's an actor that disappears into every role. She's a personality actor, not a character actor. Yeah, right. mm-hmm. And I think that's yeah. part of the issue here. And again, no, there's no right way to do acting. I mean, as long mm-hmm. as you're good and hitting your mark, there are definitely <laughs> wrong ways to do acting. But you know what I mean? Yeah. Like in this case, and, and it's not something that's in her comfort zone at all. This mm-hmm. is not mm-hmm. a role yeah. that you would actually ever cast Allie in except in this alternate universe. I give her credit just because, as I say, I think she's much better in Doppelgangland as Dark Willow. So I think once she got her a, a chance to really wrap her head around this, right. this part, she did make it her own. Yeah. I think that... Again, yeah, Doppelgangland, she's a lot better. And as when she plays actual Dark Willow in mm-hmm. season six, she will be much better. I think this is the first time she's played anything different than the Willow character for the last... She's been playing Willow for like two and a half years at this point. Mm-hmm. So it can be hard to make that change. And also this episode, like in Doppelgangland... She's playing Vampire Willow, but it's a very comedic episode. Meanwhile, this one's a very serious episode. And Mm. also, some of the lines that they give her in this, 
are clunky. I think, yeah. They're they're hard to like give a good delivery to. So it almost felt sometimes it's like, okay, so you're doing a Juliet Lando impersonation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, that that goes for Xander as well. That that line where he high fives that dude in, in the bronze is atrocious. <laughs> yes. Um, I, you know, I'm going to walk back slightly. What I said, as you remind me of Dark Willow, and I think she's become a more confident actor, and I think she works better in Doppelgang Lang because it is a more comedic performance of Vampire Willow, mm-hmm. and we know that Allie is really good at comedy. Again, it was that was not a diss on yep. Allie as an actress overall. No. Oh, yeah. Just, there mm-hmm. are different styles of what people do, and people are better at different things, and she's good at light comedy, mm-hmm. and not as good as Darkness, you know? And with Dark Willow, it is a place, it is coming from a place of emotion, ultimately, yeah. whereas this yeah. is... Performative? Is her just being evil. Yeah. It's, yeah. Per, it's, a perfor- yeah. it's a performative performance. I mean, that's redundant, but you know what I mean? It's yeah. You, you have to be right. a little more performative because... You're not going to see these characters for a long time, mm-hmm. so you need to get like an immediate reaction of who they are and what they're doing in these vampire personas, mm-hmm. as opposed to any kind of buildup of those characters. Like Dark Willow, that is built up through an entire season, instead of just like, let me throw you into these like sexy clothes and you do your thing. I'm perfectly happy for them to throw her to sexy clothes. That is fine. <laughs> <laughs> and the way you the way you articulated it was really good. The idea that it's it's she's doing a personality not a character and that's her style of acting is 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 really mm-hmm. yeah i think that was really yeah. quality but uh the the vampires are interrupted by the white hats and yay yeah, i love the white hats speaking of of missed opportunities larry bagby in this episode is so good he, he is, is fantastic so I love him. that all we got was meathead larry as a character not you know the actor larry um meathead larry and then like graduation day larry we don't get this Larry, who would have been a great, in my opinion, addition to the Scoobies. I think so. we get a mm-hmm. little bit of it in Earshot when Xander yeah. is uh, mm-hmm. grilling him, thinking that he might have done it, and he's like, I- I'm so out, my grandmother is setting me up with people. And that's kind of what this Larry is. I love Larry in season three. We only get to see him, like, uh, four times, I think, over the season, and they're all very short. But yes, Larry would have been a great addition to the Scoobies, and this is why mm-hmm. I, I I mourn the fact that they didn't decide to have Xander come out and then have not killed Larry. So they could have gotten together. We need to go to that universe. In my head canon of this, in this universe, Larry was not the big jock, right? That we saw him as, and he actually came out a lot sooner and realized who he was a lot sooner, and that pushed him towards this wanting to do good, wanting to do better, because when you're your real self and not hiding stuff, it it really changes you, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I think that was where his character maybe diverged in this wish verse, is that comfortability of the self. And I I love it. And Larry Bagby, the actor, is so great. He's so natural. He really is good Natural and charming. And and I also headcanon that he's hooked up with us. I I was wondering if somebody was going to mention that because I I did have that thought. (laughs) Because I assume everybody's queer unless told otherwise. So like, why can't Oz be bi? If anybody would be, he'd be super chill about it too. Oh yeah. He would be. He'd be like, like, you know, I usually like women, but... I'm feeling you right now. Let's make out. Like, that's just sort of odd. I'm right. He's so, Oz is so connected to his emotions and willing to explore and evaluate as he goes along Mm -hmm. that I'd be like, why not? I do wonder in this universe, is Oz a werewolf? I did. I have that in my notes too. Is Oz a werewolf? Yeah. Did Jordy still bite him? Yeah. And I'm, I'm always like wondering about how I, this is actually the type of alternate universe I love. I, 
you know, as a fanfic writer, I know lots of people when they say AU, they immediately go, two people in a coffee shop together. But the way I like to do AUs is like... Canon divergent. What if one thing happened and then, Mm. you know, how did all of this other stuff go? So I always like to know, you know, how the butterfly wings flap and how everything changes. So I'm like, how, Mm. how does Giles end up hooking up with Larry and Oz, you know... Being the mm-hmm. white hats and everything is Oz still a werewolf. Oh, I have lots of questions, yeah. <laughs> but I will not air them all here because we'll be here all. Well, week. yes. <laughs> <laughs> Try the veal. <laughs> For God's sake, I, I'm an X Men and Doctor Who fan. Alternate universes, time travel, weird stuff. I like. I have lots of thoughts. Oh, it's crack. <laughs> it's totally my crack. And I read yeah. the uh, such a great fanfic, and I'll try to link it in our show notes when this comes out. Uh, that Jay for Jenny, who's a, a friend of our podcast, hi, put up for her own podcast, and it's all in the Wishverse, and it's a it's a Jenny Giles fanfic about how Ooh. they dealt with this universe, and I will try to link that because oh. it's very good. It's very interesting. That's a question: Is Jenny still alive? Because obviously Angelus never happened. So right, right. But I mean, like, but she he, might not. But have Angel's she there, so she would actually be in oh, town. Okay. Right, yeah, that's true. Yeah. She could actually be. It, it's a really, it's a really good story, well written within this universe, mm-hmm. and how Giles and Jenny kind of come together to deal with this universe mm-hmm. and be the White Hat. So, I, it's very mm-hmm. enjoyable. That would have been nice if they had brought Rubia back for to play Jenny yeah. in this, but I can see why they didn't because they need the shock of her in the next episode. Well, and also mm-hmm. we have such a small amount of time in this universe. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's why we don't get as much Larry. The time we spend in this universe is actually relatively short because we have a pretty big buildup with all yeah. the Cordy stuff up to yeah. the wish that takes right. up about a third of the episode. I kind of wish mm-hmm. that they had just not done amends and they just done this as a two-parter. <laughs> right? That's so good. <laughs> but then I just, we'll get to that next week. <laughs> I do. I, I do wonder, like, I, Cordy it asks this and it never gets answered. Like, why is Giles there? That's we'll we'll get to that scene in a second. We're going to the bronze and my oh Mark Metcalf, my we sass missed you, master. <laughs> and it's just immediately like the sass, and I'm like, oh, I missed you a little bit. He yeah. looks so sharp. He does. She's so looking sharp, at me. I'm trying to eat, and she's looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and no, again, so... since since I hadn't seen previews for any of these episodes, I did gasp with my mouth agape, and I was like, ah. It's a master. I actually just watched the promo because I wanted to see what they showed. They did show Vamp, Willow, and Xander, but mm. I don't think that they showed Mark Metcalf. Okay. I think they kept oh. that as a surprise. Yeah, um, it's a great. But surprise. again, like in terms of, I know we you know can't bring everybody back, but I would have really liked to have seen uh, Julie Benz as Darla. Yeah, or, I, and I mean, I also Darla. know that Julie and, and Allie had problems, so that's why she didn't really appear that much on Buffy. But, and also Brian Thompson would have been cool, so. It would have been, yeah, it would have been really cool, and we all love Darla and Brian Thompson. I mean, we didn't yeah. know Luke all that yeah. long to be able to love him, but also, I mean, you kind of have to get rid of them so that Xander and Willow can be the master's Basically lieutenants. the master's lieutenant, yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, like, in this scene, I, I like the mention of Xander having a crush on Cordelia. Yep, yeah. Yep. Yep. Because, like, Xander presumably has been dead since the harvest yeah i i am i am going to guess that probably that's when everything went bad that's when the master rose so xander was at the bronze that night so he probably you know was 
was vamped. I mean, maybe not, but huh. but he's 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 been a vamp for a while at this point. So mm-hmm. he he admits to having a crush on Cordelia mm. long before they hooked up. And I think honestly that makes sense to me that you know mm-hmm. oh yeah it, it, that the we hate Cordelia club was more of the we love Cordelia mm-hmm. club. Oh, I've you can't tell that. me that yeah, Willow yeah. might not have had a little thing for Cordy. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I and, mean, why and also you? like Look well yes as as a as a vampire now. I think Xander would be able to admit that. Yeah, right. True. Very which true. he wouldn't have when he was human. Oh yeah. Are you saying that so. being a vampire made Xander grow as a person? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. I'm saying it made him different as a person. <laughs> if we can, if he's a person now, or vamps people. I... Yes, but Xander doesn't okay. have the inferiority complex and doesn't have the feel the need to front about things. He's more confident. Yeah, he has more confidence. Yeah. yeah. Both Xander and Willow making fun of Buffy's name was. <laughs> Yes. It's always nice mm. for them to, you know, point out that Buffy is a really weird name. And I say that as somebody who <laughs> Buffy is actually a nickname for my first name. So <laughs> then, I mean, all of these scenes are very quickly cut together. Yeah. And we get Cordelia waking up at the library. And Cordelia would be excellent at Cinemasins. Because oh, well, yeah. why is Giles there if Buffy isn't? <laughs> Bigger question: Why, if they are a bunch of non-powered vampire fighters, are they still at the library? I was wondering that somebody's too. Home? Yeah. What yeah, is why would they needed a, to yeah. use their own sets? But whatever. Because Giles, I guess. Yeah, he's probably still the librarian. I mean, I don't know why he's there at all. But but well, I mean, we'll get to there, that. But I need to take a moment yeah. of diversion to talk about Giles out of his tweed with scruff. Mm. Okay? You knew it was coming. Hello! You knew it was coming. <laughs> so many people are so hot in this episode. It's I know. They're all, yeah. like, extra freaking hot. Mm. And Giles This is, I is, think, our thirstiest episode. It's... I'm yeah. so... I, I'm thirsty for Giles most of the time. We all know this. It's an, I need a t-shirt that says, Thirsty for Giles. I wonder if there's anybody who can do that for I you. love hot... I love hot librarians. <laughs> Make that wish, Giles Andy. It might it, come right? true. But I don't know. I'm sorry. The, like... Dale scruff and the sweater. Oh, okay. We can talk about the episode again now. Basically, Wish First Giles is fourth season Wesley. Kind of. Yeah. Hot Wesley. Wow. Yeah. Exactly. Why do these British dudes get so bitter and so casual? So anyway, I just I just had to divert there for a second to be thirsty. Yeah, just another part of the uh, why is why are they in the library? Well, obviously Giles has loads and loads of books, so he didn't have room in his apartment, so he needed the <laughs> library to keep his his book library there. <laughs> the end. <laughs> That's my head cannon now. I'm but apparently, tired. he still does keep certain volumes at home. I was just yeah. Yes. He does keep certain volumes at home, and they also had Giles's home set up because that's where the climax of the episode actually is so right well giles giles apartment is the restricted section (laughs) (laughs) they can't actually work there because oz would always be distracted by giles's record collection (laughs) record collection (laughs) that's exactly it i don't know why giles is there i kind of why don't they lock school at night what the Oh, it bothers okay. the fuck out of me. Right, and that's enough. okay for me to not care. I'm like, you guys, please speculate right. because I, I love to speculate. But Yeah, well, I mean, there mm-hmm. is the question. It's like, why is Giles there? Why did Angel come there? Why didn't Angel go to Cleveland? 
instead. Yes. Yeah. Well, they say in the episode, though. He got captured. Were, she was supposed to come. She was supposed, supposed to, come. to come. Yeah. She was supposed to be here. Angel actually yeah, says they, that. Angel yeah, actually says that. Because Angel says, I was waiting for, I waited for you. Because Doesn't that's where, that's like where that. Whistler yeah. told him to go. Whistler yeah. led him towards Sunnydale. So, because of the Acathala thing, huh. right? So, Whistler's right. whole mission was to get him to stop Acathala, then he... So, the mission there, from the powers that be, was to get him to Sunnydale, and she just never came. This brings up interesting things for for those interested in the mechanics of magic. It's like, where does the wish fall in? And this makes it clear that it actually falls... The, the actual change happens between Whistler telling Angel to go to Sunnydale and Buffy's actually getting to Sunnydale. I just had a thought. The reason why this Ooh. stuff does not make any sense is because Buffy not being in Sunnydale doesn't make any sense. It is something that is incredibly unnatural. It only happens because of the mm. wish. And Cordelia's mm. wish is very specific. It's, yes. uh, I wish Buffy Summers had never come to Sunnydale. That she didn't say anything about anybody else. So basically, that's the only thing that's going to change about things. And mm-hmm. it's just like the dominoes that happen from that. Um, I was about to say, right. it's an unstable alternate universe. Right? Mm-hmm. I just realized yeah. that. Is it an alternate universe or is it a pocket it's universe? A po- yeah, either pocket, alternate, whatever. But like, it's an unstable pocket it's not again it's only buffy not coming to sunnydale everybody else is what? there so that that was just my spitballing that i came up top of my head what's the distinction between an alternate and a pocket i know what the, the distinction is right now this is an alternate universe this is cordelia's wish is powering it has actually changed the fabric of reality but once we get to doppelgang land it, it will become a pocket a universe, pocket universe. Yeah. okay Got it, because she gets transported out of that alternate universe into that pocket universe. So is that alternate universe not destroyed once the once Anya's sent power, like a power, center of power is destroyed? Well, because in Doppelgangland, they're going back in time to the place where it was lost. So mm-hmm. they're going back. Right, and, right, right. So that's why mm-hmm. it becomes a pocket universe, because the act of going back in time, it's... it's Shoot, shooty eye beam temporal mechanics. <laughs> but even then, I like that it, in the grand scheme of things, it sort of holds up. Given how Anya describes alter- the multiverse mm-hmm. later shrimp. with all the lack of shrimp, this universe should still exist because it's a possible universe. Why is Buffy in Cleveland in the first place? I don't remember why she would be there. Because there's a hell there's out there. There's a hell out there. Okay. All right. So she went there instead of Sunnydale. She, I mean, she was from Los Angeles in the, the original... Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think the the reason why she is in Cleveland is because that there was a wish made. Like we actually don't know if Joyce is in Cleveland with her. We just right, know exactly. that Buffy That's is saying. there. But we you know, don't really know. We never really about get a reason as to why she's there. The, the assumption is that there's another helmet. Well, no, there, it's not an assumption. There. That is actually canon. They mention yeah. it in it, Chosen. It's a recurring right. joke actually in the Buffy verse yeah. that there's right. another okay. helmet yeah. in Cleveland. Uh, yeah, they they it, it becomes canon in Chosen when they destroy the Hellmouth and Giles says there's another one in Cleveland. In and Cleveland. in the season nine comics, they actually that's where the Slayer School kind of thing. And is that's where up. Faith okay. is based. She's in charge of Cleveland. That's that's where Faith is based. Uh, and I think in the Angel comics, they say that after Sunnydale's destroyed real estate in cleveland goes up for demons uh there are (laughs) there are canonically there are three hellmouths in the world sunnydale cleveland and the easter island 
And apparently a Hellmouth is created when someone used the Deeper Well, which is established in mm-hmm. uh, A Hole in the World, to create mm-hmm. a portal. It basically, okay. it thins the, the walls between realities. It's kind of bullshit, but then the Buffy comics are kind of bullshit. <laughs> right. So, but I, I did write down the information All right, thank we you have for the that. edification, because I wasn't yeah, sure, was and really it was good. like, they never really explained mm-hmm. it. I was like, when I was watching it, they never quite said, it's not like, oh, I was like, but her family's not from Cleveland. Why would she, you know, where's her mom? Where's her dad? Well, I, I, I just assumed she was taken there by her watcher after she did all the shit with Lothos in LA. They're like, okay, here's the watcher. You know what I mean? Like, again, this is an unstable universe to me, because... Everything is the same except that Buffy's not there based on Cordy's wish. Usually with this type of when it's a when they do in it's a wonderful life, you always got the character sees how bad that the universe is, and then at the very end of it, they're like, I wanna go back, I don't want this wish to happen. But no, here they fucking kill Cordy and it's our Cordy. My note says Cordelia is Janet Lee from Psycho. Yes. Yes. Spoilers for Psycho, because I don't, that movie is so old, I don't care. I once found someone who hadn't seen it and didn't know. Well, that's well, fine, but when, it's an old. And I dragged them to see it. It was great. It's an great. old enough movie that I don't feel weird about spoiling it. But like, yeah, she's the oh, Janet no. Lee of the Wishverse. But they, yeah, they killed Gordy and it's. Yep. And she wants to go back immediately. She's like, what the fuck? Something bad happened. We need to fix this. No, immediate. I love that. The note I have says, you totally can't tell me the vampire bites are not about sex. Like, oh, yeah. right? Like that. When he puts his hand in her hair? Right? And the, the whole. That scene, that was the sexiest Xander and Willow were ever together. Yeah. Like when right. he puts his hand oh, on yeah. the back of her head. It's like what, what it took for Xander and Willow to be sexy was Cordelia between them. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh bring you know on, what? I bring on that this. OT3, baby. <laughs> but at the end of the episode, last week's episode, uh, my last note was, hey, your solution, Willow, to I don't know what I wa- I didn't know what I wanted, polyamory. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> I never actually said it out loud. <laughs> and, and the thing I learned from this episode, Xander and Willow are just a terrible couple. Oh, yeah. In <laughs> any <laughs> universe. Yeah, just like, sure. I'm so glad it doesn't work out in the real universe because, oh, God, they're awful together. Well, I mean, it's funny, like, in this one, like, they... <laughs> do seem to like try to pull off like the spike and drew dynamic but it mm. does not work as a spike and drew dynamic it's like yeah. no. it's like they're a pale imitation they're also under the control not control control but like of the master right so their their roles and their dynamic is going to be changed they're not like off on their own like spike and drew, you know or the thanked mm-hmm. for so they there there's some of that i think in there too uh but we see them acting as a couple like oh, they yeah, do work under the master's you know orders but them even mm-hmm. working as a couple they are trying to set up the spike and drew dynamic and, and it doesn't work at all it's yeah. i think it's because they're not in love mm-hmm. yeah yeah Ooh, interesting yeah shocking that the one person other than cordelia who dies is the one person we don't know in the real universe i know i'm like who is this lady she's dead okay cool nancy i would have liked to see nancy again i like the look of her and i like that sweater yeah that was nice it was a nice 90s sweater yeah i'm surprised mm-hmm. we didn't see her again at any other time, because she was really good. You know who I would have loved to see as a white hat instead of this random lady who is fine. Like actress is fine. Jonathan. He was already yeah, where is Jonathan in is? the episode. Might as well. Might as well yeah, throw Jonathan. Okay. I did actually instead. wonder where he was. Like, did did they assume? Oh well, he would have just been like vamp, maybe you know vamp meat and like gotten killed. But yeah, actually, would have been that would have set him up nicely later on too. 
I mean, Jonathan at this point would be food. So funny yeah. story. Um, I actually did my own It's a Wonderful Life story in the Niazian Prophecies because I thought it was every Buffy series had to do that. And if I had done my season three, I would have revisited it and had Jonathan from that universe have come back, like come back into the um, the real universe because I, I, I had an obsession with bringing back all of the, the nerd trio. So it's like, I'm going to bring alternate <laughs> reality Jonathan into the real world. Did Warren have skin when you brought him back? Warren was cyborg. So. That's fair enough. <laughs> uh, I love it. Yeah. Uh... But yeah. So yes, I totally would have liked Jonathan to have been in the Scooby Gang mm. in this, or they could have had Amy yeah. too. I, oh, that, yeah, they Amy mentioned Amy. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. but I mean, not yeah. that somebody with power. But, but I do, gone. but I do like Nancy. Oh, I do. Um, yeah, no diss on Nancy. Yeah. I just, I mean, it really is a shame that she's there basically just to get yes. killed. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I would have liked to have seen her in the Prime Universe later on. You know, even if like mm -hmm. nobody else knew her, but the audience went, "Oh, that's Nancy. That's kind of cool." And that's and that's something they would do on. Well, I mean, yeah, isn't yeah. that exactly what happens in uh, Mirror Mirror? That uh, like the Captain's woman is like you, the first time you yeah. see her is in the alternate universe, but then you see her in the real universe. Then you the see her, yeah, right? Yeah, yes. it's like, oh, this is the new Yeoman. Oh, I think we're going to be good friends. Ha ha ha! Says Kirk. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah, it's, it's that kind of like, dun, 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 nice little reveal. <laughs> so it would have been kind of cool just to see her like at school and like nobody knows who she is but us. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, but moving yeah. on, we have a brief scene of the master with Willow and Xander basically saying yeah. that mm -hmm. uh, Cordelia is dead and Willow asks if she can go play with the puppy. But we don't sure. know what the puppy is yet. And it could no. be a literal puppy. It could be. I was thinking werewolf, but I was like, no, because Oz... It's already out there yeah. in the world, but it's like that would have been the better line because why it would do you have been call... really good, but yeah. it would have yeah. broken my heart. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. Calling a vampire a puppy was so. I, I mean, I had forgotten who the puppy was when yeah. I watched yeah. this again. I was like, oh yeah, right, yeah. Angel. Yeah. One thing I noticed about this episode because they have so much to establish, like this huge world, that there's a lot of very quick cuts. Like all mm -hmm. of the scenes are very mm -hmm. short because they yeah. have so yep. much stuff they have to cover. But then we go back. And Giles is calling to find Buffy somewhere. Even in this year, <laughs> I mean the Watchers Cancel is obviously dicks in every universe. That don't <laughs> yeah. that don't That's pay any fucking attention to Giles. But I think <laughs> well we will definitely get into her more later on, but just talking about Buffy being on her own and you know Buffy doesn't listen to her watcher. Despite the fact that this is an alternate universe, Buffy at her core is still Buffy. Everything mm -hmm. that we see yeah. in Wish vs. Buffy we see in real Buffy and actually later on like once we get to season 7 basically the only thing she is missing is the scar on her mouth yeah uh, yeah huh. she is sort of I think what maybe Wish vs. Buffy was sort of what uh, it has shades of faith I was gonna yeah. say yeah I guess oh absolutely yeah, it's just like sort of a Buffy faith amalgam <clears throat> mm -hmm. I, I'm but sure that's still... intentional but yeah, that's, we'll talk yeah. about that in a minute. Yeah, we will. We will mm. get more into that. But then we get to Willow playing with the puppy, and um, I'm uncomfortable with this scene. <laughs> I will. We said this in an episode earlier. Xander is such a sub. Yes, she, he is a hundred percent a sub, and I don't mean that in a pejorative <laughs> way. I like, be what you want to be. No, but, like, no, he is. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty obvious. He's like, I'm just gonna watch and... Dude, but the way she straddles David, Allie's not fucking around. I mean, she may not have nailed this character at first, but she was like, on top. Yeah, she oh, nailed I Angel. Do, I do like the way she says, watch it, you almost burned my hair. Like, I don't know, it's like so... Yeah, that was a good line. Yeah, that's one of the like, good... Yeah. so flat yeah. in like a good way. Yeah. No, the scene makes yeah. me yeah. so uncomfortable because 
I should hate this scene so much because it's so non-conny, like, terrible, awful, but also, damn it, it's kind of hot. <laughs> yeah. Ministers, <laughs> that is not sane, safe, and consensual BDSM, but it is no, an alternate universe no, vampire, so we're, we're okay with it. And she's not just, she's torturing him. You know, she's yeah, 100% right. torturing mm-hmm. the guy. I mean, the point is that yeah. it's not. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's right. I, I, there were a shit ton <laughs> of oh, yeah, there were. angel vampire willow oh, fix written. Yeah. Like, I mean, not just not just puppy angel, but like people were like, Angelus vampire willow. and I would have gotten hard on board with that. <laughs> <laughs> really on board. But yeah, um, so. Point me through. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> she certainly boards, was. Boards would be involved. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Allie's delivery of watch it you almost got my hair and as much as xander annoys me i do also like i just like to watch you work yeah you, you yeah that really well. and that actually establishes their dynamic in just two lines right their their, their vampire yeah. dynamic yeah. it's very subtle piece of writing mm. and some there's some ham-fisted writing in this but that is a nice subtle like Oh, I see how it works, you guys. I see how it works. And the white hats find the necklace. And again, like, we get some really nice Larry stuff. Mm-hmm. Larry's really fucking good. Love it. Yeah. yeah. A little bit of the dynamic between these three guys who obviously have formed, like, a bond with each other the same way the Scoobs have. Like, the, mm-hmm. the concern that Oz has for Giles. Like, he speaks to him, like, an honest friend they don't care much about nancy apparently but but i think in this reality when they have their monthly memorial it's it's, yeah you you get used like i'm betting that this group probably was you know what jonathan and amy might have been part of this group at one point it's just they dead now yeah they're dead now yeah they're just so used to it that they can't spend time mourning and being Mm -hmm. sad because they've got a fight to to keep going the the mash effect yeah I'm I'm looking this up just because I wanted to see Larry Bagby is still working really consistently, and I I just oh that's he is I, I know he was in Walk the Line I totally was like oh my god Larry Bagby but I did see him in an episode of Nine One One which is a total trash show that I can't quit I don't know why um, and I was like oh it's Larry <laughs> but like he's still he's still he's still working which you know I'm I'm excited by that so. I, Larry, good. come on our podcast. Oh, that's good for him. He he's he's a very nice guy. I talked to him a couple of times online back in the day. So he he oh, right he he was one of those early adopters to the like, posting board, right? On. Uh, yeah, because yeah, uh, I mean, obviously, these days with like Twitter and every Instagram, like it's so easy to like you know get in contact with celebrities and he was just i think he actually like joined a mailing list or something and he's just like hey like here i am it might have been a larry (laughs) fan group because like i probably was on a larry fan group because i really loved larry but but yeah he was he was nice and i'm gonna say that like i find wish first larry very attractive very attractive uh and so giles ends up driving through sunnydale and ends up uh he's trying to save some people but even in an alternate universe giles he has to get down. knocked yep. down yeah right. but he gets up again no one's gonna keep <laughs> him down. Down. uh and buffy as we've pointed out before buffy's look in this is so very similar to kendra's and becoming yeah are we talking about Buffy showing up now? We are talking about Buffy now. This is the first appearance of Wish Buffy. Queer out, Logan. 
Go for it, Logan. Great. Uh, my note is wish first Buffy. My soft butch dream girl. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm, I'm into Buffy at all times, I think. My, but my, this is, I just like scary women. Yeah, okay. no. I like very <laughs> tall women. I like very strong women. I like very scary women. And she is two of those things. She's all of them, <laughs> because, but tall. Yeah. Two of those of, two oh, no, things, I'm, yes. I'm super hot for wish first Buffy. I'm, oh, I'm, Lord. I'm <laughs> Cargo pants, boots, tank top. Check, check, check. Good. <laughs> awesome. Great. Doing great. I'm fine. I'm so hot and sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sweating. Oh, the thirst these, these, is are, real. these are Logan's notes verbatim. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. Okay. Oh, the thirst cool. of this episode. Oh, my God. <laughs> the thirst. I'm back. Okay. That's the thing. This episode has something for everyone. I mean, it's so weird. Like when I was first watching this episode, I wasn't thinking. It's like, oh my god. In the summary, I'm gonna have to mention just the thirst of it all. But now that we're doing this, I'm like, yes, yes. It's something for everyone. It's got girls in leather, boys in leather, Scruffy Giles, Larry, Scruffy Oz, uh, <laughs> the Master. If you're really into kinky stuff. <laughs> A real kinky stuff. I do something for I, everyone. I'm oh, sorry, Angel in bondage. I forgot about him. So yeah, 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 but he's kind of pathetic, Angel. Even more than usual, there are fewer people of color in this particular episode, and it wonder. I wonder about the master's like sort Choice? of narrative and like Ooh. we are the superior race oh. and kind of thing like that. I wonder if that. Yeah, and uh, that would not fun. surprise I mean, me there's... at all. Well, you do notice the first person that gets sacrificed. That's what I was just to about to say. Yeah, is, like the only person of color in this. Color, exactly. Yeah, it's yeah. like, hey, let's yeah. pull the Asian chick and then throw her on the machine. So yeah, mm. which is hey. a very inefficient machine, in my opinion. Well, oh, we'll, I was we'll going to point that out. We'll get into the machine. Yeah, we'll get to that. But, no, that's a really good point. I think I, I'm gonna. I'm hoping that that was like an actual conscious choice. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, the other person the of whole, color is yeah. being casually racist at by Cordelia. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. The, the custodian earlier. Okay, so so yeah, Giles and Giles, Giles and Buffy together, out. and Buffy is just being so hard, but she's still Buffy. It's like you can still, and like I I do compare it to season seven Buffy when she's, you know, been hardened by everything that's mm-hmm. going on. There's nothing here that really is not our Buffy. It's just that right. she's not had the same support system around her. And we will even see later on in the show that Buffy does isolate herself. It's another costuming note. I thought it was, and it's the first time I ever realized that because I was really looking at it. The fact that Giles is back in a blazer when he gets all watcher with Buffy. Oh, yeah. Right? And it's not mm. like his normal Tweety Tweety, but like, you know, we've seen him in this like slouchy sweater and with a but when he's in his apartment again, obviously when he's, you know, he had the coat on, but when he was trying to fight the vampires, but you get back to the apartment and he talks about watcher things and research, he's back in a blazer. And I thought that was a really hmm. interesting, very small costuming choice. So I, again, I just wanted to bring that up. I liked it a lot. Yeah. yeah I, it's I it's almost like he puts on the uniform yeah, to be yeah. the watcher. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was just great. Nice if we're going to talk about uniforms consistently yeah. throughout this episode that everybody's wearing. Um, if we're going to stick with the cookie me metaphor, this Buffy, a little overbaked. Yes. I like crunchy cookie. <laughs> <laughs> well, and it just, and it also shows that how much of an effect that not just Will and Xander, that Giles has had on her life. Because we don't know what her watcher mm-hmm. yeah. is like, but I suspect. But we know that most well, yeah, watchers but we, suck. I suspect right. she's taken from LA. We don't know if Joyce is in her life or if that watcher did what watchers are supposed to do and isolated her 
from everything. And it just again shows, and this is not my thirst speaking, this is my absolute devotion to him as a character, how much Giles is so different and how much Mm. I think his background as Ripper and the mistakes he made in his life reflect on who he is as a watcher, as a human being, and his understanding and empathy towards Buffy and him allowing, I use quote fingers, her to develop as the person (laughs) she should be. And we saw in the last episode how much love and care he put into wanting her to go to college and wanting her to have a life and work-life balance. And like this Buffy is a Buffy without Mm -hmm. her friends, but mostly it's a, it's a Buffy without Giles. Well, Buffy Mm -hmm. in this, uh, I think we hear in the conversation with Giles and Buffy's watcher and that Buffy only checks in like every couple of weeks or whatever. So I think by this point she has been the slayer long enough and she's probably been at this point in her life, she's probably been the Slayer longer than most mm-hmm. people. I think that the Slayer probably usually has a shelf life of uh, like two years or something. I think the Slayers that lasted the longest were Buffy, Faith, and Nikki Wood. And Faith only survived because she was in prison most of that time. But yeah, <laughs> and also Buffy died twice in that, that time. Uh, but mm. so I think Buffy has gained a certain amount of... Uh, training so that she's able to actually work away from her watcher and the only reason Giles works so closely with Buffy is because of his paternal love for her and we'll actually yeah. see that mm-hmm. come up in season five and six where he starts to pull and even season four when he starts to pull away from Buffy and it's like you don't actually need me to like give you like this close training you are to a point where you can do it yourself and it's only the fact that he loves her so much that really keeps him in her life so i think that the her watcher at this point is like yeah she's she can handle herself and frankly you know she's a tool you know eventually she'll die so i also i also love that even in this universe giles didn't go oh the slayer didn't show up i'm going back to england he stayed to fight and he stayed to do what is right, you know, and actually nurture and probably be mm-hmm. a father figure for mm-hmm. Larry and Nancy and Oz. And like you can even feel in those little scenes, the really great chemistry mm-hmm. between all of them as a group of mm-hmm. white hats together. So it just it makes me love Giles even more, you know, that he stayed and he worked and he did what was right. So that's my Giles speech mm-hmm. today. OK. All right. And I'm going to be annoying and and do my usual why is this and i know the answer is because plot mm-hmm. how does buffy get there that fast maybe she's on an airplane right. why sh- why would she be on her <laughs> no no i mean she gets there what an hour or two after giles makes the phone call well we don't know exactly what the time is so yeah because this is I mean, the, they even don't know if where we she leave is. aside right no but i mean if she if she's based in cleveland She's not going to be out of state. Wait, wait, wait. Um, didn't the master say that the factory was opening the next day? Mm-hmm. So I think there might be some editing problems, but I think that... Oh, maybe. I, I think, I think these are actually... Like, I think Cordelia died on one night and then Buffy showed up the next night because they go... Buffy basically mm. goes straight to the factory. Just, And we'll get into the next part where she stops by the, the bronze uh, to find the master, but he is not there. And the only person that is there is angel and you know just like giles gets knocked out in every universe angel has to take off his shirt in front of buffy thank you they had to do (laughs) it so hard they had to work so Mm -hmm. hard to get him to show his damn 
I have to say, though, I give Angel points in this scene. Because instead of being whiny and saying, but I'm a vampire with a soul, he cuts straight to the chase and goes, look, I want the master dead as much as you do. <laughs> I also, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll give it to David. Uh, it's, and everybody else has been really thirsty over this episode, but it's kind of hot the way he pulls open his shirt and shows sure. all the scars underneath it. It's, yeah. Yeah. What I think really is really impressive about Angel doing this is that he gets the measure of this version of Buffy real quickly. Yes. He's like, this is what will convince her that I'm not going to yes, hurt her. And exactly. that I have right. a, a goal outside of my destiny, um, which is, you know, gives Angel some um, depth that I don't necessarily think he be previously yeah. had his character. Well, I think it also, it almost reflects <clears throat> the first appearance of Angel, like when he was still Mysterious Guy, and mm-hmm. the the cryptic interactions that they had with each other. And actually, Angel was mm. very to the point when, you mm. know, he was cryptic, but he was to the point where he's like, we gotta fight the vampires. And he, Angel here is just like, I want to kill that guy. I, I <laughs> really want to kill him. Yeah. I, yep. yeah. I had a thought yeah. oh, during yeah. this episode about Angel around this time. So, you know, we know he's still seen Buffy outside of the school and Whistler sent him to Sunnyvale. And he does try to proactively help and fight. And I suspect that's in the harvest because there's no Buffy. So it leads me to believe that, and this is no shade on the Bangle thing, the Bangle shippers, that without this grand love, you know, this grand obsessive love, he's more connected to actually his mission as a champion than he was when he was wrapped up in Buffy stuff. So that's just my little point there. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, that certainly fits in with what happens when he moves over to Angel. Right. The show, because he's cuts himself off from Buffy and finds his call. Here is something I am going to throw out there. Do we know that Angel has been captive since the harvest? We do not. We do not. And I would actually... No. I would actually argue probably he hasn't because mm. as much mm. as they enjoy, you know, playing with the puppy, I think they would eventually probably. get tired of him over probably. two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. it possible that Angel was a white hat for a while? Ooh, oh, good question. Fan yeah. fiction happen. Fan fiction happen. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Because I kind I like of, that too. I kind of like the idea of combining like the white hats with like this proto angel investigations. And, the, mm-hmm. and that angel mm-hmm. is in that world, and yeah, that he does actually help. I, I love that. It's great. I could yeah. very much see that. That is. Yeah. I think that and absolutely fits with what we know. And some of the issues that come up yeah. when we find out in the episode Angel that he is a vampire could have happened with the white hats and how that played and what that did. Di- oh yeah. Fanfic that all day. What that dynamic is. I love it. Oh yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I mentioned this on Facebook the other day that this is the life I live where it's like MC comes up with fanfic yep. ideas. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and like I said, that's like a podcast of its own. We just sit there and throw ideas at you and come up with stories that people should write that we don't have time to do. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll call it release the plot bunnies. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Why are the bunnies? <laughs> but uh, they. We move on to the master at the factory, and I love this because it's as much as it's just great seeing the master back. It's also really great to see a different version of the master because he mm-hmm. is different. Because the master in season one was so ritualized, everything was about ritual, and everything was you know about the stars aligning and prophecy. But then this master. He's almost got 
a Mr. Trick-like attitude. Yeah. I was, mm-hmm. I literally, in my early draft of my notes, I was like, God, what he and Mr. Trick could have done together. Yeah. Would have been dangerous. I think this actually fits in perfectly with his love of ritual. Yeah. I mean, what is mass production except ritualized... Creation? Uh, manufacture. Yeah. <laughs> and, 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 but I, I think maybe, uh, from another standpoint, it could be rather that he, he, you know, he fulfilled his destiny, he, he, what, what did it, rose or ascended or whatever wait there that's the mayor anyway he, he is rose I yeah think. yeah he fulfilled this prophecy he is this thing and now he's like well all that happened so i guess um i guess maybe i should get with the times and be like super forward thinking but maybe a little nazi-ish mm-hmm. yeah i think i, I think, see think they both work yeah <laughs> here's some uh, mass production you know who else utilized that <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's yeah. neither here nor there honestly um so yeah i wonder if it's 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 less Ritual and more like, well, it looks like I'm going to live for a lot longer, so That's I might a... as well make a positive impact <laughs> in the vampire world. A legacy. Arbeit macht Blut. Um... I, enjoy, I enjoy vampires who do this kind of stuff. And I am not just saying that. I'm totally just saying that because the vampires in my book series are a lot closer to the master in this than, you know, the randomly mm. biting people on the streets. Um... But um, it's inefficient. Okay, let's talk about it the is. machine now. Ugh. Oh, I meant biting people in the street, but the machine is inefficient too. <laughs> yeah, but yes, yes, the yes. machine biting. God, uh, go for the aorta. Go for the femoral. You're good. Quick, easy, less machinery. Stupid. Yes, I shouldn't say. Stupid. I mean, they're basically just it like is. sticking pipes into people, right? At ran- like random you places. Get meat it's, out it's, too, like. Like you they, have yeah. a filtration system if you're not smart about it. No. Feels like some machine wonk designed this just to show off like how spiffy they could make a machine without thinking about efficiency. Yeah, I think the design of the machine is bad, and I don't think they really thought it through. Though it did make me nope. think yeah. of Firefly when uh, River is talking about the human body can be drained of blood in however many seconds, given the proper vacuum oh, yeah. system or whatever. The line is, so that's immediately what I thought of. It is terrible. Like they, there should be like there's very specific places that you should be poking. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Basically, you're you're. I can't think of the vein now. Your carotid carotid artery. Yeah. Carotid artery. Yeah. The femoral. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, mean, I think there's. I'm, I can't remember which vampire series. I think it may have been Anne Rice, but there's a mention that there's like there's a there's an artery in like your inner thigh that drains really quickly. Yeah. There's like the parts femoral. of the body, yeah. not That'd like your arms and your legs and uh, and like I said, I yeah. have this like vision of this very very nerdy vampire sitting there and like designing shit and just like spending like hours and hours He's just not... to do something spiffy because they can rather than something that's going to be efficient and get the the job done. That's not a nerdy vampire that's a vampire is full of himself nerdy vampires would actually give a damn about how the thing works well i think it's somebody who, who wants to do like nerdy but spiffy you know but you see this in um this idea of like sort of mass production of blood in what the third blade movie oh, I've yeah. Seen yeah. The I blade yeah yeah good good call good i've call only watched the the, i've watched the cinema sins uh, videos for the Blade movies. See, what so. I never knew was that uh, in the third one, shit with Wesley Snipes was so bad they had to CGI his eyeballs in because he would do the scenes with his eyes closed. And <laughs> oh, oh Ryan Reynolds and told stories about just how shit. awful he was. Wouldn't speak mm. to anyone on set. So yeah. yeah. So, but yeah, they they essentially like put these uh, human bodies in vacuum sealed things. They have them in a coma mm-hmm. and they just keep them alive through fluids and stuff. But they're a constant 
blood source. Oh. It's just yes. more. But that's actually a neat idea, though. I mean, the fact that Where's, yeah, instead of killing they somebody, just kill them. Yeah, right before they put him in the machine. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've seen it. Before. The mast, the master is wonderful. I love. There's a, like people say, well, they. I, I don't say anything why. to them because I, I kill them. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to Nicole Biderback, who was in every WB show during the 90s. And it's still where I looked her up again. She was in like Clueless, wasn't she? I think she might have show her the movie. Maybe. Yeah. And she's still working today. And I'm always like, hey, she's there. Not only was she in like every WB show, she was like in every 90s movie. Yeah. Like she she nearly she nearly slept with Seth Green and Bring It On. She was was in in, uh, and not Bring It On and Can't Hardly Wait. She was on the cheerleading squad and Bring It On. She was just Bring It On with Eliza Dushku. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's in everything. So yeah, uh, but... uh, Dawson's Creek, oh, tons and tons of stuff. So good on her. I'm sure she still looks amazing. So just going back briefly to the machine, the thing that really bothers me, other than the fact that they should be poking in very specific places, is that they don't seem to actually be extracting all that much blood. No. It's because the hoses are clogged with meat. <laughs> human meat that, yeah probably yeah because yeah. i mean you would think that there would be a reservoir or something like or that there would be mm, more, yeah. more places for like cups to be filled up but they only fill up that like itty bitty little goblet and they don't even fill it all the way and i mean i know they're just like I mean, testing it out but i mean it's like the whole reason for this seems to be like the idea of biting somebody is really inefficient because one you're grabbing people off the streets and you're just kind of biting into their neck and apparently sometimes you can you know bite into their windpipe so that you blow out cigarette smoke um (laughs) but also you're not going to be draining them because they always say i'm draining them but you know that vampires are never draining them completely no i mean my my assumption here is that the blood they extract goes into a reservoir and the pipe that they pour the blood from for, into the glass like a, is just from the reservoir. It's like a keg. But um, yeah, it's just, I'm exactly. sorry, it just occurred to me that that scene where Angel Angelus comes back proves that Angel's a big baby because you know who can breathe and drink at the same time? Babies. <laughs> <laughs> Lose that ability as we get older. But babies can. So. <laughs> Right. Oh. Oh. No, I mean, I, the other thing I was going to say is in terms of inefficiency, the thing, you know, the whole point of uh, they should also be using um, gravity to, so they should be hanging either by their necks or by their feet so that the blood pools in one spot and it's easier mm. to like pull it out instead of lying yep. there flat on their back where everything's going to get a settle to the bottom. Yeah. And I'm not even like, yeah. a, a, they need an abattoir. I'm not even who knows their physics well. Yeah. They just need a much better system than they've got. Whoever designed yeah, this it, was I mean, terrible, I get, uh, terrible. Yeah, the machine is terrible. terrible. It's so flawed. I, I think I'm feeling like the master's like over hunting. He's so old that he's just like, just bring me the fucking blood. You know, I don't want to go out and hunt. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just doesn't <laughs> seem like it's his jam anymore. You know? Yeah. 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 But it's like, obviously, vampires make very lousy engineers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mechanical yeah. engineers. But um, but Buffy and Angel arrive, and Buffy sarcastically tells Angel not to fall on the, the stake. Yeah. And that's, <laughs> I mean, everything is so intercut together because then we also get Giles summoning Anyanka. Right. But mm-hmm. it's just very, very brief when he's, you know, doing spelly words and shitty IB magic. And then we get back to the factory. And I want to know how being shot with the crossbow in the chest didn't kill Xander. Uh, I did too. It doesn't go anywhere near his heart. 
Yeah. Yeah, it goes nowhere. Um, you see the blood spot after he pulls it out and he goes after. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. Well, I think also, but like the first, like maybe they changed, but like when they first showed where it hit, it it, it did look like it could have killed him. Yeah. But I also, also like the Buffy verse is very inconsistent as to where exactly like yeah. somebody should be stabbed because like yeah, uh, mm-hmm. back in just a couple episodes ago when Candy was impaled on the the spatula that was like basically in her stomach. Oh, uh, yeah, and it was not wood. Oh yeah, yeah, we um, we went through yeah. this. Maybe it yeah. had a wooden handle. Who knows? Yeah, but I mean, like <laughs> everything about this, like the the intercuts of Giles and Anyanka and the fight. It's like the fight itself actually isn't all that good. Like it's just kind of chaos. Mm. Yeah, I put in my notes. It's it's fighty, fighty, fighty. But then we get those, once it goes slow-mo is when it gets interesting. What makes this so different than every other fight where it's just fighty, fighty, kicky, punchy is that the emotional stakes that are going on in this. Like everything that happens. It's literally a fight for their lives at this point here. Well, I mean, it's not even that. Just the fact that everything that we feel about these characters that they are not Mm. feeling. Because you have just when... Xander, who in the real world hates Angel, just cold-heartedly, just like it's just perfunctory, just stabbing Angel. And Buffy just doesn't fucking care. She walks mm-hmm. through Angel's dust. Mm-hmm. Did not notice. Oh, and, and, and Oz kills Willow. And Oz kills yeah. Which I thought was yes. like a yes. really nice little, oh my god. Oh, it's, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't mm-hmm. care. Yeah. Well, he doesn't no. know her and he just wants her dead. Yeah. yeah. And Supporto Gal stab Xander just does not care so yep. everything yeah. is yep. and the master kills and the Buffy master kills again. Buffy fulfilling the prophecy because even if Buffy didn't come to Sunnydale the prophecy yep. still exactly fails. I was like that was mm-hmm. that's a good point maybe he was just tired of waiting around and, and, and it just also shows as pissed as I've been at Willow and Xander how their ecosystem works in 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 prime universe right how much they actually need yeah. each other and i don't mean in the way of like for buffy to protect them that they giles being a, a parental figure to all of them because except for joyce as she gets better they all have shitty parents you know like the, the lesson that we all see is like how tied we are to each other's lives and how that kind of support system does build you up you know what i mean so like that's just and makes you, and a, makes better you a better person, person and a better yeah. friend and a better human being when you have unconditional support in many ways. So, you know, it, break, it breaks my fucking heart. And just the faith that Giles yeah. has when Anya, yeah. when Anyanka asks, you know, how can, how do you know that the real, that the other world is better than this? And Giles says it has to be. And that mm-hmm. he, Giles is a hero in all universes. Yeah. Yeah. He he's a constant. constant. Oh, are we getting into Lost? Do you want to do Lost? Sorry, no, sorry. <laughs> no. 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 No, 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 no. Been there, done that. Hey. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Giles breaks the necklace and we're back to the real world. I was going to say that this is the only yes. time we'll ever hear of computer voice for Anyanka. That is true. Um, but I think also, I think I think also part of that is because when we see Anyanka in season seven, that's not Anyanka, that's Anya. Good point. Really she good has, point. She's she's gotten yeah. Native. That's a great point. Yeah, because I think actually Halfrek, she does. Oh, they, they do have, have some scary, scary voice, voice stuff for Halfrek. Yeah, maybe it is just Anya being Anya instead of Anyanka. Yeah, good point. Yeah, mm, maybe. But we we go back As to the boom, real world bright. and it's it's so it it's bright oh, and God. it's so weird yeah. because so much has happened, but 
Yeah. Nothing, nothing has, happened. has happened for them. It's yeah. it's almost mm-hmm. like this is a play. This is a really mm-hmm. scary dark play. It was all a dream. And and wonders if Anya was ever like, "Hey, um so nobody knows about this universe. Not even Anya who created it." Anya knows no, Anya she's going to my because she'll, yeah. That's what I'm saying. She knows about Doppel, Doppelgangland and I I do think right, I do right, think right. that Anyanka retains memories of things that happen that other people don't. She's got a sort of a, you know, a sense about that. But uh, one thing um, that must be brought up is the fact that Giles has inf- wrong information in his book because it says if destroying the power center of the vengeance demon undoes all the spells that she's cast, that is false. Not yeah. true. It only undoes the last one. Because we know that one of Anyanka's previous spells led to the Russian Revolution of 1905. Oh, and also, What's-His-Face is still stuck in the hammer. Or What's-His-Face is still a troll. Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, that was mm-hmm. pre-Vengeance Demon. Okay, so... That was just I mean, a spell. She cast that spell, but it wasn't... Yeah, but it was... She, she was immortal. At, she enough. was mortal at that time. And also, there's the, okay. the dude from um, uh, Hell's Bells that that's that's yeah. still a demon but i think the russian revolution is my favorite i'm like i love that it's really obvious yeah, <laughs> yeah. Good point. okay i'm glad that's not that's that they're just wrong because otherwise there's a that that takes care of a lot of my questions <laughs> <laughs> not all of my questions but a lot of them <laughs> um and also, really funny that Cordelia is making all of these wishes, and one of those wishes she makes is that Xander will never know the touch of a woman. And it's like, he'll know the touch <laughs> of that woman right behind you. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, final thoughts on the wish. So, so good. And despite whatever flaws that we've put, we've picked up here and there, it's still a really good episode. And it's really, I mean, it's well-written, well-directed, mostly well-acted. Um, costumes, as we've said over and over, are just like, to die for and just like fucking on point it's just i mean you know i i love alternate universe stuff just in general that's one of the tropes that i enjoy the most and um this one is done so well that it, it, it's just great and like i said it's one of those episodes that i would force people to sit down and watch if i was trying to get them into i agree stuff. with jan i i alternate universe is my crack i love it and what changes and what doesn't and core personality i just yeah i think it's and to be able to see all these beloved characters and actors, even though we were like iffy on, you know, Allie's stuff, it's still interesting to see these characters we know and yeah. love be different yet the same. So I I adore this episode so, 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 so much. Yeah, this is one of my favorite episodes of the season, far and away. I will watch mm-hmm. it just to watch it because I enjoy it. But also I think what I can take away from not just the episode, but our discussion uh, we'd be better at farming humans than vampires. <laughs> we could do it really well. Well, no surprise you are there. A, you are a Slytherin, Miss um. Logan. <laughs> okay, yes. that doesn't mean I would automatically farm people. If it were the most efficient and best okay. way to get me where I need to go, then I would. That sounds more well, like see, Ravenclaw to me. Yeah, and see, I, me as a Hufflepuff will, you know, I'd make sure that it was humane and comfortable and, you know, fast and whatever. But yeah, if we needed to do it. As a Hufflepuff, I would be the white hat that disappears in the first episode because I have no stamina for running away. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't either, so. Well, I, I, I echo pretty much all of that. But I do want to bring up one thing about interesting thing thought thought that occurred to me about the Vengeance Demon yes. thing. We see Vengeance Demons a few times in... in uh, that is true. And, you know, we see them granting people's wishes. 
and and we learn later on in season six that vengeance demons tend to have special yes something that appeals to them particularly but it really seems to me that the vengeance demons really aren't that interested in the people whose wishes they grant they're not like anya here is just like wow this was a great wish because it fucked everything up. (laughs) Vengeance demons, you can kind of look at them like most, or not most, but a lot of modern literature take uh, genies. The the whole, the be careful of what Mm. you wish for. The the start, Mm -hmm. you know, you can make a wish, but it's always going to have a twist to it. Vengeance demons. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, We prefer justice demons, just FYI. I, I had to quote. I had to quote Hallie. Oh yes, thank you. <laughs> yeah, it's it's I, basically they're they're anthropomorphic <laughs> monkeys. Yes. Yeah. But yeah, and I do. I mean, the fact of the matter is, it's in the name. They're demons. Yeah. Um, yeah. You see, I mean, what would it benefit for vampires to have the world sucked into a black hole of or whatever the fuck Apocalypse did or whatever what what would be the benefit for them they'd go to then they'd live in a hell dimension that's for some reason the goal of a lot of demons i don't know mm-hmm. why it seems like they'd have more fun with like torturing innocent souls on this plane of reality but whatever um so yeah it, right. i like but i like the idea of them being the the classic genie you're gonna get what you want but you may not like it yeah you probably won't like it yeah, and I think they're also just very creative because they always give people what they want. It's just always, you know, a really mm-hmm. creative spin on it. They also, in the comics, mm-hmm. they do get more into Dahafrin as a demon, as a character. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't care for the comics all that much, but still I will shout out the fact that the that Dahafrin gets a storyline in the comics. And by the by, Jonathan's back and yep. he is a vengeance he demon is, too. Yeah. spoilers for the comics how how canonical are how canonical are they considered the comics are they're considered canonical basically all all of them no 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 the the comics the um ones that they've come out with uh season eight since the season eight and beyond beyond yeah Yeah. they've they've streamlined things like everything that came out actually during the show is non-canonical right but everything since the show all the spin-offs and everything yes the only one where it gets a little touch and go is the um the idw angel stuff the idw angel stuff yeah Oh, yeah. Okay. Is it just they had like to get, they had to get even remotely? To get... Re- he's remotely connected, or he he's back. He he's overseas. actually oh, back yeah. writing. Yeah. For the so comic. Giles currently has a has a miniseries uh, being done. Yeah, I I haven't read them. I've read synopses and stuff, and they just yeah, look, I haven't read them yet. Look and sound so awful in general that I, I, I Giles is a teenager right now. Season nine is not very good. The Faith and Angel comics I actually enjoyed quite a bit. I actually enjoy Faith and Angel. And that Spuffy has totally been together for like two seasons at this point and they're working out their shit. But that's just me. Okay, anyways, so I'm going to um, <laughs> echo what everybody else said about this episode. This one's one of my favorite ones of the season. Might be one of my favorite ones of the show. Me too. This one is really great. It's a great one to just watch mm-hmm. and just enjoy watching it because it's a nice standalone, even though it has all of this emotional stuff for, I mean, basically at this point, every episode of Buffy has some sort of emotional tie to episodes that came before or after it. So just having one that you can Mm -hmm. just watch and that's all you need to watch. That's always really cool. In terms of trivia, uh, this episode was listed on 
the last sunset featurette on the season seven DVD as one of Joss's favorites. And it was also listed on the Australian chosen collector's box set as one of his favorites. So he really likes this episode. And it's the only episode on that list that he did not write. I mean, granted, he probably wrote something related to it because he's Joss, but he was not all of the other episodes that were listed. He was actually credited as writing. So I think that's a testament to this Mm -hmm. episode. And this is also the favorite of Charisma Carpenter and Todd McIntosh, who was mm. the makeup supervisor. Yeah, I can see that. Oh, nice. And in terms of music, when Cordelia leaves the bronze, we've got Get Out of My Way by Music House. When Vamp Willow and Vamp <laughs> Xander enter the bronze, it's dedicated to pain by Plastic. Um, when Willow, Buffy, and Xander are watching Cordelia at the bronze, it's tired of being alone by the spies. And when Cordelia is making wishes at the end, it's never noticed by Ginger Saul. And wow, <laughs> all of those names, those titles are really appropriate yeah. to the scenes that they're in. Yeah, it's they're really nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Someone's on point with the music selections. So next week. Mm-hmm. We're going to be celebrating Christmas. <laughs> and it's, we're going to be reviewing amends. And I am going to have a lot to say about that one. Until then, grr, arg. Grr and the arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. Grr, arg. We'd like to thank everyone who downloaded the podcast, and an extra special thanks to everyone who shared, liked, and subscribed on social media. If you'd like your questions or comments read on the show, you can contact us on our website, returntothehellmouth.com, on YouTube, Tumblr, and Facebook at Return to the Hellmouth, on Twitter at Hellmouth Return, or on email at returntothehellmouth at gmail.com. We'll be sure to read your comments on the show. Be sure to rate our show at iTunes and Stitcher, and check out our show merchandise on TeePublic and Redbubble. See you on Tuesday. Grr. Arg.